correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPGs, a podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Welcome back to Me and Steve Talk RPGs, folks. How's it going, Gamer Nation? Steve, you out there? Yeah, I'm here. (laughs) All right. So, we're back at it, and before we get into our, our topic of the day, we wanted to take a moment to highlight another podcast on the D20 Podcast Network, and this week we're going to talk about Tabletop Tales, which is a podcast you've actually already heard us talk about, but they just changed their name. They were formerly called What Comes After. Their primary campaign, if you will, is a really neat kind of alt-history post-apocalyptic setting. It's really, really good. It's really fascinating, but they just announced that they're changing the name of their feed to Tabletop Tales, and they're expanding, and I believe their last two episodes have actually been some Star Wars actual play, and I believe they're going to do some other games as well. Yeah. I was going to say, I know you were listening to at least, I haven't I haven't checked out any of the new stuff, but the, uh, the Genesis stuff was, like I said, the world is fascinating. The world's fascinating. I haven't got a chance to break into their Star Wars stuff, but I'm excited to hear that. Anything that comes out of them is pretty awesome. I, yeah. I just, it's quality. So... With that being said, what are we talking about today, Steve? Well, we've had some people mention it on our Discord, and it's it's a genre of gaming that's been around for quite a bit, but um, it's not one that I've ever really played, and in our conversations you haven't either. We wanted to talk about some superheroes, uh, especially with you know Marvel being big right now, because what was it, Winter Soldier just released? Yeah, that just released, and then uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League just released, which... I watched that four-hour epic, and it was four hours an epic. So, <laughs> and Wandavision, yeah, Wandavision, which is great. So, I think I think we have a guest to talk about that, though, because we could sit here and talk about movies, but RPGs, as far as as far as that's concerned, I don't really have a lot of experience, and I don't think you do either. No, I I made a character for Heroes Unlimited back in about 1996 once, but I don't think I ever got to play him. And yeah, I read the Sentinels of the Multiverse RPG, and that's about as far as I got. Okay. Well, I reached out to someone who's been into games for years and years and is quite passionate about gaming in general. And uh, he's also a podcaster, does a podcast called Shane Plays. So Shane Stacks is going to join us today. And uh, you there, Shane? Yes, I am. Thanks so much for the invitation. I was just leaping out of the phone booth to get ready to... uh... (laughs) I had to get back into my, you know, I had to uh, fly down and, and convert into my podcaster, my mild-mannered podcaster guys. Aha. So so, so no cape and spandex. Uh, it's not showing right now unless it's accidentally <laughs> tucking out of the back of my shorts. So, <laughs> yeah, I just, I just saved a few cats and uh, stopped a volcano. And luckily there's no supervillain activity. So I was able to uh, go ahead and, and make the podcast. Ah, well, well, thank you for taking the time to join us. Yeah, I definitely appreciate the uh, the invitation, so thank you. You know, like, I'm aware of a lot of games for superheroes. You know, I had friends back in my college days that played the old TSR Marvel, and like I said, I, I was supposed to at one point play Heroes Unlimited, but it never mm-hmm. got off the ground, and, and now there's just 
I mean, so many games out there. Wait a minute. You had a game that never got off the ground? <laughs> what? I mean, you had a group of friends that wanted to play a game and it, and it never started? <laughs> Despite best intentions? I've never heard of that in, in this hobby. No, obviously I'm joking. Uh, yeah, there's the, the superhero RPG genre is... Is actually pretty rich for it being a smaller slice of of the hobby, uh, and it also goes back almost to the beginning. So I'll we'll talk a little bit about um, you know I've I've got a list here that you know kind of goes from the beginning up through now. And before I go into that list, I'm gonna miss something, right? There's no way and uh, that we could talk about everything in you know one quick podcast about an entire slice of you know, the hobby, all these superhero RPGs. So, you know, if, 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 if I don't mention somebody's favorite superhero RPG, I humbly apologize. And, uh, you know, drop me a line at Shane at shameplays.com or, uh, tweet me at shameplays, S-H-A-N-E-P-L-A-Y-S. And I will rectify that. <laughs> make sure if I discuss these again in the future that, that, that I make sure to mention that game. So, you know, just real quick, a little bit. You know, you mentioned uh, that I'm into games. You know, I've been playing role playing games of some sort since the early '80s, and and really my first love. Although you know, I played D and D, and I played this, and I played that. Played Tra- Traveler was actually the first uh, RPG I probably ever rolled dice on, even though I already knew about D and D. But my first love was a superhero RPG, and even though I play all kinds of RPGs across you know the, the spectrum of possible genres i still have a deep and abiding love for superhero rpgs plus i'm a big comic book nerd so you know i've been a huge comic book nerd as long as i've been a, a role-playing game nerd if not longer uh you mentioned my podcast shane plays geek talk you know one of two of the major pillars of my geekdom are role-playing games and comic books and you know i've played various superhero role-playing games over the years and then you know i've kept up with others. So I, you know, I really appreciate you reaching out. I, I don't think that this portion of the hobby gets discussed as much as it could, you know, given how many people love comic books and how many different games there are out there. So I think this is a wonderful, you know, opportunity to highlight them. So you guys basically said you have no experience playing superhero RPGs, right? Not much. No. Um, like okay. I said, I, I was supposed to play at one point years ago, a Heroes Unlimited game of friend that lived across the hall from me in college was supposed to run it but like i said it never got off the ground in classic form yeah so there yeah i i love the picture it was like it's supposed to be superheroes and capes but they could never quite get off the ground <laughs> so yeah i love the unintentional irony there and i did want to i know that uh, i wanted to give a, a quick shout out you mentioned um star wars you know you've been on a star wars kick lately my personal favorite version of star wars rpg is west end games so I like the D20 version. Uh, I played a little bit of the new one, you know, the newer one from Fantasy Flight Games. So I'm just curious, what's your favorite version? I I played the original version, you know, the West End version. It was the very first game I ever played. I liked that. I did not play any of the D20 stuff. Mm-hmm. And I've got rather limited experience at this point with the, the Fantasy Flight system. I like the Fantasy Flight system in a lot of ways because it does cinematic action really well, which is what Star Wars is, is for. But West End allows for that, too. You know what I mean? It, it's it's not quite as rigid as D20 is in my experience. Yeah, no, I'm fine with... I, I prefer West End games. In fact, I bought the 
you know, they, they released that re-release a couple of years ago where yeah. it was like a complete reproduction in a slipcase. And I was just tickled to have that, even though, you know, I had the other, you know, the books already. Uh, but no, I think West End's where it's at. Um, a D20 was fun. It, 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 it was surprisingly a good fit, in my opinion. Yeah. Because it used this vitality and hit points thing, which I'm not going to deconstruct here because it would take a while to go into. But <laughs> I, I enjoyed both. So I was just, I was just kind of curious. Yeah, which which system you like the best? Yeah, we've got uh, there's a bunch of people on the network. In fact, our our network's flagship is a Star Wars gaming podcast called Order sixty six, and uh, they started back in the Saga edition days. Yeah, but uh, they you know there's a lot they they really really love the new FFG system and the generic version Genesis, which is there's a few rules minor rules differences between them, but they're essentially the same basic engine. Gotcha. All right. Well, I've never played the Saga version or the Saga edition, so yeah. But I played I played the other three. Okay. So are are you ready to uh, to uh, to unleash on superhero RPGs? Oh, we may as well. Does it does it actually start with the, the TSR Marvel or was there something before it that? It does not. No, it goes back before then. Um, and you know the superhero RPG genre had it it one of the challenges that it has is how do you simulate all of you know all of these very because you have like you got your street level hero who's basically just a guy in a mask running around and beating on people. And then you got Superman or Galactus or the Silver Surfer who are like off the charts powerful. And how do you come up with a system that allows all of that to be on the same map? You know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, and, that, and that's one thing that uh, superhero RPGs have kind of struggled with over the years uh, with greater or lesser success. I'll, I'll tell you the one that I personally think has done the best job or it was at least the first out the gate that was the best at that. But superhero 2044. Okay. If we're going to go into the history of, of superhero RPGs, superhero 2044 was actually the first published superhero RPG. And that was in 1977. Oh, wow. Strangely enough, it didn't, it, it didn't replicate the experience of like the eighties comic books of the time. Right, where like all the superheroes are running around Metropolis or North Little Rock or what I say North Little Rock or I can't even New York. <laughs> I live in North Little Rock. There are no superheroes in North Little Rock. Let me trust me. Uh, well, just wait because <laughs> the rule of comics is that if there wasn't, there is now. There is now. Yeah, there will be. So anyway, so Superhero Twenty Forty Four did this thing where it was set in Twenty Forty Four and all these mutations resulting after World War III and aliens arriving and all of this stuff. So instead of tapping into the zeitgeist of comic books at the time, they, for some reason, did this thing where it was, you know, way in the future. And it gets kind of lambasted. It gets credit as the first superhero RPG, but it, it doesn't really get a lot of credit for being a good game, right? But it, it does get, it, 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 it crossed the line first, so it is it is credited as the first superhero RPG. But for example, uh, the science fiction encyclopedia, they said its most remarkable feature is perhaps how little influence it had on later designs. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. Right. So now I've never played it. Right. So it could be I, could, I might play it. And I may think it's the best game ever. But the word on the street is, you know, it it wasn't that great of a game or at least it was it was odd or or confusing or something like that. Okay? And you know, yeah, your superheroes 
but you're not really because most people, especially in 1977, if you're thinking comic books, you know, you're thinking Marvel, you're thinking DC, you're thinking, you know, four color comics span wasn't even spandex then just, you know, colorful costumes running around. So I personally think it was kind of an odd choice for your first superhero game that you put out there to be set in like an apocalyptic future. But there you have it. Yeah, well, I wonder, though, to a certain point, if because at that point role-playing games were really just becoming, you know, if they figured that they couldn't go out and invent their own superhero universe, what do you want to say, imitating Marvel or DC, and because they were brand new, one, they probably didn't have the money, or neither of those companies were willing to do a licensing deal. Yeah, it could be that, you know, it was, it was the, a world building issue, but, but at the same time, he, they had to, or he, the, the designer to give credit, cause I, I do think it's important to give credit to the first person who got a superhero RPG to market. You know, this is back in the seventies. D and D has been out for three years at this time. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's not like now where, you know, there's, I mean, there's, there is a, a game out there for almost every flavor and preference, which is wonderful. We were talking before we started recording that, that it's wonderful that there's all these indie game designers and everything out there. And, and you can find just about anything to fit any niche, but this guy, uh, Donald Saxman, and there were two, there were two editions of this. So it, it did merit a second edition that was published by a, a different publisher. But yeah, Don Saxon got this out in 77 and it's without a doubt superhero 2044. I think the first edition was superhero apostrophe 44. And then when it was republished, it was 2044 is the earliest example of a professionally produced superhero role-playing game. So, you know, congrats to them for being the first. The first game that came out that tapped into the zeitgeist of the time of what people thought of as, you know, your superhero comic books running around in the, you know, the big city and Fantastic Four versus Doctor Doom and, you know, the Avengers and Spider-Man and Superman and Batman and not those characters, but tapping into that feel was Villains of Vigilantes. And that was released in 1979 by Jeff D. and Jack Herman. Now, Jeff D., might ring some bells to some people out there. He was very involved with the art on early Dungeons and Dragons. So a lot of the art that you see in early Dungeons and Dragons is Jeff D. Uh, yeah. You know, so he's been he's been in the industry for a long time. That's what I was gonna say. Looking at the art for this, it's very it's very comic books at the time, but it's also very early Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. It's very D and D, or even earlier than that. Right. Yeah. It's it, this came out in 1979, the first edition. Now the the second edition, the one that caught everybody's fancy was was in 1982 but they were the second to market and i believe i could be wrong but i think jeff d was 17 i don't know how old jack herman was uh but they 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 were 17 when it came out and they actually ran into i'm not going to go into i've got a couple of podcasts out there i did with jeff d and jack herman where we talked about it further but because they were, he was young, and I'm assuming Jack Herman was too, they signed a deal with Fantasy Games Unlimited to publish it, and that deal kind of restricted them later. So they had to go through a legal process and, you know, go through some arbitration and stuff in order to publish the third of it, the third edition of Villains of Vigilantes, what came out a couple of years ago, and that's now called Mighty Protectors. But it uses the uh, Villains of Vigilantes system. Just like real comic books. Just like real comic books, <laughs> yes. There was, yeah, they had a, they had a, they had a, uh, an ultimate crisis uh, where they all had to band together 
and and we're and we're able to uh, to save the universe by recreating it. Mm-hmm. So yes, which is a very common thing to happen in, in comic books. Now, Villains of Vigilantes is a lot of fun. Uh, it was actually my first RPG love. You know, like I mentioned before, I love Dungeons and Dragons. I played, you know, I had Paranoia, Traveler, you name it. You know, uh, I played DC Heroes, played Marvel. Uh, I played Middle Earth role playing. You know, I played GURPS. I was I was all over the place. I, I love games. And in, in fact, uh, we I was talking with uh, Steve. How do y'all refer to each other eternally? Like, if I, do I want to say non young Steve <laughs> and young Steve, or or I mean, how do y'all do this? <laughs> Steve and other Steve usually. Yeah, Steve and other Steve. Okay, so I was talking to uh, Steve. <laughs> which which who which Steve? How do you identify yourself? That we were talking before the show. Uh, Sometimes I I think my handle on Discord is old Steve. Old Steve. So not young Steve or not as young Steve. <laughs> not as. And I were talking uh, before the show, and he's heard me on my podcast, and he's heard me on uh, Russ's. Uh, Boris's unofficial RPG podcast or RPG talk podcast. Uh, but I'm system pr- promiscuous. That's how I identify myself. I, I will love to play any game once, which ties into a lot with y'all's most recent episode where you were talking about one shots, you know, short campaigns versus, uh, you know, uh, long campaigns. I love one shots because they give me an opportunity to, to check out any system once. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah, maybe you don't get the full experience of a campaign or you don't get the full experience of, you know, watching the game progress. But I love watching the numbers and the mechanics and all that work. And I, I want to see how this works and I want to I want to try out this new mechanic and all that stuff. So I, I'll try anything once. But having said that, back to my original point, Vigil- Villains of Vigilantes, I probably got it for Christmas of 1982 or 1983. I asked for it. Some friends were playing it. I asked for the game. I got it. And it's had a special place in my heart even today. Love Villains Vigilantes. And it's, you know, it's got a lot of love for the four color bang pal comic book genre. You know, what what we think now, comic books are a lot more expansive than just superheroes, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a lot of wonderful storytelling that's happening in comic books. But in this case, I'm referring to just that, that sort of 80s, you know, when it was just so everywhere you went, every gas station, whatever, had a spinner rack full of superhero comic books. And that's what I'm talking about. It kind of replicates that kind of world mm-hmm. to where, uh, you know, you're going to you're going to be in a in a big bombastic over the top costume and you're going to run around beating the the uh, the stuffing out of supervillains. Mm-hmm. But it's not dark and gritty. You know, it's it's not super focused on, you know, death and stuff like that. You know, it's, it's just more fun than anything else of course you can play any game the way you want to but you know that wasn't the the intent or the or the feel of the game and as as i mentioned villains of vigilantes has actually recently published a, a, a version three and due to legal reasons it's mighty protectors you know running villains of vigilantes system or you know something like that and i've actually got i'm actually in two villains of vigilantes games right now cool. so one of them is a play by email which works surprisingly well because the game master is really good at making that happen. And the other one, we're just starting it up on my Discord. You know, not young Steve. I don't know if you've seen the chatter in that Villains and Vigilantes channel on my Discord or not. But we've started up a, a Villains and Vigilantes game, which either of you or any of your listeners are welcome to join. If they would like to, you know, come kind of play a more old school kind of game. And we're doing it as a Western Marches style game. Okay. 
yeah, it's, you can, uh, it's, we're going to play like once a month. And if you miss a session, it's no problem because every adventure is self-contained, but they're in the same overarching story. So, cool. you know, if you're like, if you're like me at your play, at, at my phase in life, time is super precious. <laughs> so, uh, and it's, it's a bunch, you know, it's, it's, it's so far, it's a bunch of grognards playing the game. So we, we've made it specifically so you could play as little or as much as you want and, and still be involved. So invitations open to you or anybody out there listening. Do y'all do show notes on your, yes. yep. okay. I'll, if you want, I'll send you a, an, an invitation to my discord Okay. That you can post there. I'll make it an open invite, you know, that won't expire. And if anybody wants to come in and check it out, they're welcome. To. Okay. Yeah. We can put that in there. All right. So, and, and Village Vigilantes is definitely a product of its time. It's it's very math heavy. You know, there's lots of formulas. I, I It's not as uh, charty as like Rollmaster. I heard y'all talking about, you know, <laughs> the, uh, the Rollmaster. I mean, though I love that. I love Rollmaster. I love Merp. I mean, my, my little grognod heart just warms up at that stuff. But I know not everybody does. But the thing with Villains of Vigilantes is uh, the game we're playing right now, our GM, Grackleflint, that's his handle, is very hands-on and very good to work with people. And two, it's one of those games there's a lot of math, but once you make your character, the math's all out of the way. And you just go roll dice, so right? It's all up front. Yeah, it's all up front. It's preloaded, but there are formulas. So, uh, and Grackle Flint, and there's a uh, spreadsheet you can get off Drive Through RPG. It's like two dollars, and you just plug in your stuff, and it'll do all the math for you if you want. But anyway, so anyway, that's my pitch for Villains of Vigilantes. I have it has a personal place in my heart. I love Villains of Vigilantes. Um, you know, because it was one of my first role playing games, and it it uh it had kind of for its day. I don't know how many games do it now, but at the time, the the conceit was it was supposed to be you. So you you would determine, or you know, you and your friends, everybody would talk, sit around would determine your statistics based on you. So it was supposed to be like Shane, like Shane in real life is now <laughs> suddenly a superhero, which I'm sure led to some real interesting discussions on you know people's perceptions of their abilities versus others. But uh, and then you know you rolled your powers and all that, and and. With Villains of Vigilantes, you can either come in with a preconceived concept for a uh, character, or you can uh, roll randomly. And I love to roll randomly. I love to get a whole bag of something that I have no idea what I'm going to get and then make it work because I feel that kind of stretches my role-playing abilities. So, uh, you know, my, my one of my most recent characters, the, the powers were so weird. Like, I've got, like, a poison touch and, like, astral projection. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, how, what? <laughs> so, I, I said, well, this is like a platypus. So, I ended up naming her Patty Plus to kind of play off the, mm -hmm. the platypus thing. So, but anyway, uh, moving on in the, in the, uh, in our thousand foot overview of, uh, of role playing games. And feel free to stop me at any time because I'm just rattling on. No, here, so if you guys no, have, keep okay. going. You're good. I, I'm I'm learning. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good. All right. So moving on in our oh in our thousand foot overview, which again I will forget to mention some things. Please be nice in people's hate mail. We're good on that. Don't worry about the Steve's the complaint department, so he'll take care. Okay. Of All right. Great. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's spelled S T E V at yeah. uh, me and Steve podcast. So you've got uh, the next big one, uh, which came out really, this one hit about the same time as the as the popular edition of Villains of Vigilantes did. And that's, of course, Champions. I'm sure you've heard of Champions. Mm -hmm. And that uses the hero system. 
So uh, Champions first came out in 1981, and then they had their second edition in 1982. I think it was their second edition that kind of hit big for them. And it was the second edition of Village of Vigilantes that also hit in 1982. So a lot of people think that either Champions was first in 1981 or whatever, but no, Villains of Vigilantes was first. But then you got Champions. And I would say, even though I've I've read a lot about Champions, you know, I've gotten Champions materials and read through them. I've never actually read cha- or played Champions. But I would say out of Villains of Vigilantes, Champions was probably more widely played and maybe even still is because uh, I think they've had a continuous editions coming out and their sixth edition is, is as recently as 2010 running on the Hero System sixth edition. So where Village Vigilantes kind of came out was really popular and then disappeared for a long time. And then just recently kind of came back the last few years. Champions is uh, has been going on the whole time. So I'd say it, that one probably has a... Um, has a stronger following and a lot of people really like the hero system. Yeah. I, I actually saw a copy of that not too long ago at a half price books yep. around here. I picked it up, kind of flipped through it, but I didn't, didn't buy it. It's a, everything I've read about it and heard people talk about, it's a good system. I think it's also at least some editions of it was fairly math heavy. You have to remember back in the day, most games were math heavy. Yeah. Right. Like that games hold games are a lot more user friendly these days in, in, in most regards. Mm-hmm. But back in the day, it was assumed that you were going to have math and that that wouldn't scare people off. Well, I mean, you figure the polyhedral dice came originally were developed as math teaching tools. This is correct. That is a good piece of trivia. Yeah, uh, that's right. They were they were uh, Gygax was ordering dice from uh, from school supply uh, companies before they started making their own dice. That's absolutely right. And then, of course, you know, the history, they find like D20s in Roman ruins and stuff like that. So that's always fascinating. The platonic solids. So they're they're actually, um, you know, they're more than just weird looking things that you roll to kill goblins. <laughs> <laughs> but I definitely like to roll them to kill a goblin. Anyway, okay, so we have another in our tour traipsing through the, the history of superhero role-playing games. There was a, uh, this one's kind of weird. I had it when I was a kid and I enjoyed it. It was called Supervillains with a with an exclamation point. It was from Task Force Games, and that came out in 1982. So 1982 was a pretty big year for superhero RPGs because editions for V and V Champions, and and then you had Supervillains. And this one was interesting that you could be a superhero or a supervillain, and it played as a board game, but then it also had rules to turn it into an RPG. So oh, wow. It has a special place in my heart because I liked it and I owned it and I played it. But reading reviews on it, the reviews aren't very good. The reviews are pretty poor on it. But as a kid, I enjoyed it and I had a great time playing it. And, you know, again, I think it's interesting that they because I remembered it as a board game. Mm-hmm. And then I went, you know, and I was doing research and I was like, OK, so it was an RPG as well if you wanted it to be. All right. So moving right along, here's a big one. The next two uh, RPG games in our in our tour of superhero RPG history are big ones. One is, as you mentioned, not as young Steve, is Marvel superheroes from TSR. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was a pretty big one because TSR, you know, licensed a major, that's a major license, right? Marvel. And they put out a game that was very easy to play and sort of aimed at most of the reviews you read on it too, they'll point this out either as a positive or a negative. It was aimed at your average comic reader, which at the time was like 10 to 12 years old. This is in 1984. And it used a, a system called Phase Rip, which was like uh, 
oh, uh, fighting ability, agility, strength, endurance. Uh, you know, it was, it was, it's an acronym of your attributes. And then it had this sort of bright, friendly, multicolored chart you would roll on when, if, if you wanted to try to punch somebody or whatever you were trying to do, uh, use your hex powers or whatever. It had a very friendly chart that you would roll on. And, and it was like green, yellow, and red and, and very easy to read and interpret. Now, when the first edition came out, it, it came with pre-generated characters. You only had like four, you could be like Spider-Man, The Thing, Captain America, and the Captain Marvel of the time, I think. So that was it. Uh, you had those characters, and then you had, um, you know, the uh, like some uh, a scenario, you know, that came with it and some colorful maps and stuff like that. And then in 1986, the advanced game came out, and that one uh, had a lot, it came with a lot more pre-generated characters, and, uh, you know, you could make your own characters and, and that sort of thing. That I, I can't remember, I played them both. My memory is trying to tell me that you could make your own character in the first edition from 1984, but it seems like the reviews and everything I've read since then, keeping up with it, said you couldn't. So I had friends that played it, but I never actually got to play it. I enjoyed it. It, like I said, it was designed. It was a good introduction to role playing. You know, if, if for younger kids, mm -hmm. you know, if you'd never played a role playing game, then it was a good introduction to role playing, and it was a very quick, easy, accessible. Uh, I want to be the thing, and I want to go punch Doctor Doom in the jaw kind of <laughs> kind of game. But I wouldn't say it was full of rich stories or anything like that. Now, you know, this did get a lot of support from TSR. You had, um, you know, you had a ton of modules published for it. You had uh, Dragon Magazine started devoting a section of Dragon Magazine, and and you know, so some of the stories were were more substantial than others. But it, it was never intended to be gritty, right? It was very colorful, bang, boom, pow, you know, that kind of thing. And I, I have fond memories of it. Uh, and in fact, there's a, uh, I'm sure, are you all familiar with Heroclix? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. So there is a phase rip. Uh, somebody has taken the phase rip system. I played it at a convention a couple of years ago. And they've made a superhero combat game using the phase rip mechanics you know, and just whatever miniatures you can find. Oh, cool. And it, you know, yeah, it's just, it's a fan project, but it's done extremely well. In fact, I've got pictures and notes from, I need to do a blog post that's way overdue um, <laughs> when I did that. And then you, you had, you had a lot of uh, Marvel games that have come out after that. TSR did, they did another version of a, of a Marvel superhero game it didn't use the phase rip system and then you had i think you had a saga or saga system yeah marvel game which i've never played it ran on cards i believe yeah it used cards and you know i think all the saga system games or the saga system games do if i understand correctly saga is is not a a system that i have a lot of experience with other than reading about it or you know hearing people talk about it and then margaret weiss her company did a version of a Marvel RPG and they were like, it sold okay, but it didn't sell enough to keep the line going. Mm -hmm. So, and that's another thing, you know, uh, superhero RPGs, it seems to me like it's a no brainer. It should be a strong interest, right? Mm -hmm. I want to be able to be Batman or Superman or whatever, but it's never cut a huge slice you know, of the pie. So it's, it's, I always assume it, it should be more popular than it is, but, uh, I would say horror, uh, and sci-fi probably outsell superhero games in the industry, you know, after fantasy. I would agree with that. I, I know from, from my experience, as far as superhero RPGs are concerned, it's always been sort of a, not necessarily something that I wouldn't, it's not 
that I'm saying I wouldn't play in a superhero RPG, but that's not what I'm grabbing for initially. And right. and that's that's really why we brought you on because neither of us are are experts or understand well or or are you know super versed in the right. in the systems. Right, and that's you know, like I said, I'm coming from the perspective of like I'm a major comic book geek. So to me, it was like peanut butter and chocolate. You know, right. it was like this is perfect. But uh, but anyway, you know, and I've got a lot of other friends that are big comic book geeks, so. You know, I, I know uh, I know some people here in Arkansas that I think Mayfair Games acknowledged they had the longest running DC Heroes campaign known. <laughs> oh, wow. You know, they went for like a long time. Yeah. Which brings us to DC Heroes. <laughs> so you know, like that segue, darn it. It's almost like I, I will take no professional credit for that. It was a pure <laughs> accident. So, uh, all right. So anyway, so DC Heroes was was the next big one from Mayfair Games. Which Mayfair Games, of course, you know, I, I think of them first for DC Heroes, but other people think of them for Settlers of Catan for being the ones that bring that over from Europe. Uh, but they came out, their first edition came out in 1985. They had another one in 1989. Then they had a third edition in 1993. And uh, if you've ever heard of the Blood of Heroes game, that was basically, it was from Pulsar Games, and they licensed the game system from Mayfair but it doesn't have any of the DC Comics characters or IP. Ah. So, yeah, it just uses what's called MEGS, M-E-G-S, which is the Mayfair Exponential Game System. So, I, I believe I'm stealing from Wikipedia when I say this, but the Mayfair Exponential Game System is a logarithmic scale for character attributes. And, for example, a value of 3 is double a value of 2 and 4 times the value of 1, right? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So, by the time you get to 10 from 1 you're way exponentially more powerful because okay. it keeps doubling, right? So, you know, five is twice as powerful as four, six is twice as powerful as five, and it just keeps doubling and doubling and doubling. Uh, and this this is this is the game that I teased at the beginning that I think did the best, or the it was the first game to really have a good, solid way of having Batman and Superman in the same fight but still mechanically makes sense, mm -hmm. right? Because if you, like, let's say you're using D&D. &D. If, if, if Batman has a strength score of 16, what should Superman's be? Right. Right? Like a 1,000 or something like that. So, so they came out with this really elegant way that you do these attribute checks and you compare, like, if, if Batman is trying to punch superman or trying to at least hit him with a battering or whatever then you compare you know the his dexterity to superman's whatever and then you have a chart and you roll it's a percentile dice chart and you see where you land there now the chance of batman actually being able to hurt superman is very slim but at least they're on the same scale mm -hmm. right so uh, and they, when DC Heroes first came out, you know, they did a great job with, with putting out, you know, the, the modules and the supporting stuff and, and all of that. In fact, a lot of their, you know, if you're a big comic book fan at the time, you could learn stuff about the comic books by reading the lore, you know, and that kind of, this is a callback. Uh, let's, let's go back to, uh, Star Wars West End games. A lot of people don't realize how important that system was to the current lore of Star Wars. Because you didn't have a lot of expanded universe stuff on Star Wars for a long time. But West End Games was pumping out all these uh, source books. And so they were just writing all this stuff up. What does a Bothan look like? Well, guess who came up with that? West End Games. And, and so 
you know, like later in the, I, I think around Phantom Menace or maybe even before that, I've heard anecdotally that people were like, you know, they were bringing on writers for Star Wars stuff. And they were they were like, well, where where's all the backstory here? And they were told to read the West End game source books. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So it does, a lot of people don't know how important because they they didn't have they had to make it up. Yeah. And, and so a lot of the stuff that's in current Star Wars lore actually came directly from West End game source books or was strongly influenced by it. And uh, now it's not to the same extent with DC Heroes, but I can remember buying uh, their Watchmen source book. And it answered questions from the graphic novel or revealed secrets that were not stated outright in the graphic novel. So what I'm saying is if you're a fan of that era of comic books, those lore books that they put out, resource guides and adventures are really cool stuff. Uh, another shout out I'll give is, is GURPS. GURPS source books, even if you don't play the game GURPS, the lore books are amazing and can be used to enrich any game you're playing. So I, I can't I can't brag enough on on GURP. Like GURP Zombies is one of the best books I've ever read, period, on zombies and the different types. It doesn't matter if you're playing GURPS or not. Yeah. So which brings me to my next game. <laughs> How'd you like that? So so uh, you know I already mentioned Blood of Heroes and, and Blood of Heroes that used the Meg system, but it didn't use the DC comics characters or IP. All right. So the next game uh, and then we'll just hit a, hit a couple more high notes and wrap up because, you know, I know you guys don't go terribly long in your show. GURPS Supers came out in 1989, had another edition in 1990, another edition in 2007. And and that's that's a well-regarded, uh, evidently, you know, as far as the GURPS lines goes, that got a lot of support and a lot of people like to play it. Another big one, in fact, if somebody right now came to me and said, you know, what should I play? I would probably recommend this game, even though I've never played it. But it's uh, Mutants and Masterminds from Green Ronin Publishing. Ah. And the reason I'm going to recommend it is, one, it's a variant of the D20 system, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, a lot of people are already familiar with the D20 system. And it's it's still going. It's it's a big system. It, it Green Ronin is still publishing it. So, it, it, it as best I can tell... Mutants and Masterminds is the largest still going superhero game with the most support, yeah. right? The most widespread support. So it's it's your probably greatest chance of finding somebody else that plays it. Yeah. Well, coincidentally, not to interrupt, but if I could cut in, yeah, sure. next week we're actually going to be talking with Alexander Thomas, who has done a bunch of freelance work for them. Well, cool. I mean, so that's a nice lead-in, nice tie-in for for a follow-up episode. Yeah. Everything I read or hear on Mutants and Masterminds is very popular, and people have a lot of fun playing it. And it's, I mean, it's, you know, that four-color, big fun superhero action. So, uh, you know, that's, that's probably, like I said, there's other games out there, and I'll run through them very quickly here in a second. But Mutants and Masterminds is, it looks to me like the biggie of, of, mainstream rpg superhero games right now mm -hmm. uh, you know i hope to try it myself someday so you know if somebody's like well i you know i'd kind of like to play a superhero game but what should i play you know you might want to look into that one it's got a lot of it's it's very active it's not a dead game by any means yeah and it's got mutants and masterminds <laughs> there you go right i mean how how, how can you uh, not love that Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna mention some other games out there really quick just to give them some love. There's Silver Age Sentinels, which I've never played, 
but it is a D20 variant. I've actually got some supplements that I bought, you know, and used RPG materials at stores. It was originally published by Guardians of Order. It's a D20 variant, but now it seems like it's published by White Wolf, and it's all over Drive-Thru. You know, you can find all this stuff on Drive-Thru RPG, and it uses an intuitive and easy-to-learn D10 Tri-Stat system game engine. So that's the marketing copy. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, all right. Victorious is published by Troll Lord Games. Are, are you all familiar with Castles of Crusades? Mm-hmm. I've heard of that one. Okay, yeah, Castles of Crusades was one of the first sort of, uh, it's it's sort of OSR, but it was also one of the first games to capitalize on the uh, on the third edition OGL. Mm-hmm. So it's, it uses the D20 system. But what's interesting about this is you're playing superheroes in Victorian London. So if, uh, you know, if, if, you, if you're interested, like if you thought League of Extraordinary Gentlemen was cool, you know, whether it was the comic book or the movie or whatever, it's kind of like that. And it's, so you're running around uh, as a superhero of some form in Victorian London and and if it's basically if it's in fiction it's there so you got Sherlock Holmes you got you know Moriarty all these cool things in the mix there there's another game out there called Bash which is basic action superheroes from basic action games I've actually played that with the creator Chris Rutkowski on I don't know if y'all remember Google Wave but years ago Google Wave did this or Google did this thing called Google Wave and I played a little bit with him that was fun uh, you got Prowlers and Paragons from Lakeside Games Masks a new generation young not as young Steve actually told me about this one there's so many games out there and that's a powered by the apocalypse where you're you're playing angsty teenage superheroes Spectaculars from Scratchpad Publishing uh, by Rodney Thompson, who is very he was uh, involved with the Lords of Waterdeep board game and also uh, did the um, was heavily involved with Fifth Edition. Spectaculars is cool because it's got the setup time of a board game, but you're playing an RPG. That's neat. So you got. Yeah, he, he's got another game out there called Dust City Outlaws, which is you're basically doing heists. I've heard of that one. City. Yeah, his concept is three or four of you said, what should we do? Well, let's play an RPG. You grab the box, open it up. It's got the setup and prep time of a board game, but you're you're getting the experience of an RPG. So, and then this ties in to something I'll say other Steve mentioned. You mentioned Sentinel Comics RPG, uh, which is the Sentinels of the Multiverse. That's from Greater Than Games, that, and that came out in 2019. And that actually spun out of a card game called Sentinels of the Multiverse. And they came up with this, this incredibly fun fictional comic book universe that feels like it has decades of history for the lore for their card game. And now they've come out with an RPG based on that universe. Yeah. I, I had a friend who was obsessed with that card game and he was like, you could have run this system for me and then never got it off the ground. So I, I was aware of it and I was about to end up running a, a game of it. I just never, never got the chance to get it. You know, again, superhero games, not getting off the ground. That's, yeah, da 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 wah wah. Well, what I'll I'll, t- I'll say this: I I bought the digital version of the card game on Steam during a sale, mm-hmm. and the lore, the fake comic book universe oh, yeah. that they came up with is it feels as rich as the Marvel it, universe. It really does. Yeah, you. Yeah, I'm very impressed. I I was I I liked the card game for that reason because it felt like. Oh, this is just like, you know, you have your big two in comics. It felt like, well, they just secretly were a third that had just been going for just as long as... Yeah, it feels like that they started in the Silver Age and are still, you know, going today like the cards will have a quote on it and it'll it'll be like, this character from this issue of 
number 300 or whatever. And it's, it's very rich. I have to give them a lot of credit. And uh, yeah, they've got their RPG now, which I hope does well for them because, you know, they've, they've put a lot of love into the card game. Uh, And then finally, for my list anyway, uh, trying to keep it somewhat manageable for one episode, (laughs) Monty Cook Games, you know, they have their cipher system, which is a settingless system, right? The cipher system, which same thing that Numenera uses. Well, they now have heroes of the cipher system. Hmm. And you can play big, bold, flying through the air superheroes. And what's neat about what Heroes of the Cypher System is doing, or the Cypher System, is that they also have a source book for playing a first responder. I was going to say, that just came out, didn't it? Like within the last yeah. couple months? Very recently. Yeah. It. Uh, you can be a paramedic. I think you can be a police officer, you know, that kind of thing. So I think that's really neat that there's an entire source book. You know, a lot of RPGs will have like a sidebar or, you know, like a paragraph about, but this actually dedicates an entire source book to if you want to be a non-superpowered hero, you know. Yeah, that's really cool. That's always an idea I've had for a superhero RPG is playing a group of people who come in after the battle's over to try and assist and get everything everything sorted and everything together. Right. Yeah, I think it would be interesting. I, I don't know if I'd want to do it as an ongoing campaign, but I think it would be interesting to just play a, a regular Joe in a superpowered universe. <laughs> yeah. You're just trying to go get some coffee, you know, and Ultra Duperman just crashes into, you know, the, the building right next to you or whatever. Yeah, well, I think, though, that's that's one of the things, and maybe this is part of the reason that sometimes maybe Supers games don't get the, the love that they deserve, if you will, is because there are different, so to speak, there's so many different levels you know, you have your street level stuff, you have your kind of anti-heroes, and then you have your Superman, Fantastic Four, Justice League, whatever. And like you said, it's hard to balance that if everybody at the table doesn't want to play the same type of quote-unquote superhero. Right. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, a game that you didn't mention, and I don't know, maybe you haven't heard of it. Um, have you ever heard of Mutant City Blues? I have not. <laughs> it's oh, You might like this one. It is, uh, it's in its second edition, which uh, written by Gareth Hanrahan and Robin D. Laws, and its premise is effectively kind of mixed, kind of street-level X-Men with NYPD Blue. Oh, that sounds pretty fun. You know, you're, you're the heightened crime investigative unit, so <laughs> you have power but if any crime happens involving either as potential perps or the victims, people with powers, you get the case. Oh, okay. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. That's one of those games that, again, it, it sounds really interesting to me as a one-shot. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would want to play an ongoing campaign, but that sounds very fun as a one-shot or, you know, just two or three adventures to kind of, you know. Yeah, that one's put out by... Um... Pelgrane. Okay. Oh, and I just thought of, I didn't even have this on my le- list. I know there is a uh, role-playing game for the Valiant universe. So there's a the Valiant comics, um, like Exo Man of War mm-hmm. and uh, Ninjak and those. I know that there is a, um, there's a role-playing game for that one. And it, that one uses a system where each scene or each adventure the GM is supposed to change. So you're supposed to rotate narrators or GMs, uh, and I'm not, you know, not quite sure of the the reasoning behind that, but, you know, I think I watched a little actual play of it or, you know, read about it, and it's one of those games where the, it's not, it doesn't, it's not GM-less, but the GM is supposed to rotate. Yeah, that, I was different. just about to ask you if it was as weird as the Valiant comics are, because those are just always a little bit off. <laughs> yeah, Valiant's always kind of done its own thing. I like some Valiant 
I, I never got into them as much as the others, but they're it's a weird mix of of four color big bang action but also kind of realistic and gritty yeah i I would agree with that i read some exo um back in the day just weird just (laughs) just odd yeah exo is basically a caveman in the uh iron man arm is basically yeah is 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 where it starts anyway i know it it, i know it you know changes as it goes but you know I, i like to read them every now and then but they've never been my my main comics by any means but you know, don't want to leave them out. They do have a role-playing game out there. Mm-hmm. I say I find it kind of interesting that, especially um, with the amount of you know, be it film or television being done specifically with Marvel and DC right now, but even um, you know, like Spawn was so big there for a while in the '90s that there just aren't any real superhero license games out there right now. And I, I it's one of those things that I wonder about every now and then, and I don't have an answer. Yeah, it is interesting. Um, you would think, especially with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that, you know, with just as ridiculously popular as it was and still is, that they they would have tried to come out with a game. But, I, you know, the more I learn about the industry, uh, so many of these games, especially licensed games, aren't from the perspective of, like, whoever owns the Marvel license is like, we want to do a role-playing game. Usually, it's a third-party approaches and says, we want to do a role-playing game with this license. Mm-hmm. So I do know that, and they even have... Uh, hold on, what my cat is snoring. Is <laughs> do, you mind, do you mind not snoring? <laughs> it's the cat wonder, my sidekick, the cat wonder. Yeah, she was literally snoring over there. So, um, yeah, licensing and, and all that's a weird deal. Like, uh, evidently, they actually have expos or conventions where all of these companies come in and then, you know, they, they let people come in, you know, like, we want to make a toothbrush with your character or we want to whatever. And, and then somebody would at the same time approach them and say, we want to do a role-playing game, you know, with your characters or your IP or whatever. And, you know, cause I always, in my mind, just thought it was like Marvel comics was like, well, darn it, we need an RPG. So we're going to go find TSR and have them do it, you know? And it, it, it rarely works that way. So it could be that the people that are interested, and I'm purely speculating here, that are interested in doing a Marvel RPG can't afford the licensing fees or Marvel doesn't like their ideas or something like that. They just want more money than an RPG publisher is willing to give them. <laughs> this is true. Yeah, because it's, you know, we think of it as a big industry, but it's really not. In the, in the great scheme of things, the RPG industry is pretty small, pretty small potatoes. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. Well, um, I had asked for some questions on our Discord for you, and I got a couple, but some of them, uh, there was, you know, like, uh, do, do you prefer 90s Marvel or Dark Horse style stuff in your games, or, you know? Oh, that's fine with me. Yeah, I'll throw that. Uh, I mean, I, I'll answer anything. So. <laughs> and and the other one, though, there was, like I said, there was that one, and then someone wanted to know, who do you think would win in a fight between Spawn or, and Ghost Rider? Okay, see, no, this is where it gets fun. <laughs> this is, I, I mean, this is the good stuff. So, and that's also one of the reasons why RPGs, comic book RPGs are fun, because you could stat them up and have them slug it out. Okay, so if I, me personally, I like mid-80s comic books. Mm-hmm. I love that genre. I love the feel. I love the tone. That's my favorite era for superhero comics. So if I'm going to choose between more Dark Horse 
and uh, 90s Marvel, I'm probably going to lean towards Mar- 90s Marvel as far as like an ongoing campaign because mm-hmm. I just I just like that tone. Uh, but I mean, Dark Horse was doing some super good stuff in that era. It just wasn't like a unified, you know, four color comic book universe. Right. But they had some great characters and still do. So that that's my answer there. Uh, you know, if I went now, if it's a one shot, I'll play anything, <laughs> you know, uh, if it's if it's dark and gritty or if it's, you know, happy Care Bears, I, I don't care. I'll play anything as a one shot. So Spawn versus Ghost Rider. Uh, and it's interesting that Spawn has come up a couple of times here because Spawn's about to make a big comeback. So uh, Todd McFarlane is is pushing a Spawn shared universe where like you have a, a universe of comics all in the share all in the Spawn realm and even a sort of Dark Avengers type of team full of Spawn type characters and also there's a there is a Spawn movie coming. Yeah, I was gonna say, isn't he working on a new movie or TV series? Yeah, uh, it's it's a movie and I think Jamie Fox is on board yeah. if I can remember. I know they've done some casting. Yeah, I, I I know McFarlane is always one of those guys that he can't talk, he can't work on anything secretly. So right. he, he's his worst, like, he can't work on yeah. anything and keep it a secret. He's always like, uh, by the way, I'm working on this. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, no, he's just, yeah. And he's very, you know, over the, well, I'll be honest, when Image Comics first came out, uh, I thought that they were w- really cool art, but I thought the stories were pretty weak. But I've gone back and revisited a lot of old image, and it and it's better than I give it credit for. And I'm actually rereading Spawn now, working my way through that. I'm really enjoying Spawn. But Todd McFarlane has, as a businessman and an artist, he's a very. I, I have a lot of admiration for him. You know, he's done that action, all those amazing action figures, and you know the way he handles his business. Spawn is now the the longest running creator own comic ever, hmm. ever. It's like over 300 issues. Before that, I believe the longest one was Cerebus. But anyway, he's the big guy now, and he's still run, going strong. Now, Spawn versus Ghost Rider. As much as I love Spawn, Ghost Rider is going to clean Spawn's clock because he's just, he has like, like Spawn is cool, but he has like limited powers, right? He can, he has, he has a limited amount of his power that he can get to at any time. And now this is, it may be different now, but you know, up to the first 50 issues or something, that's how it is. And then ghost rider is, did, did any of you ever watch agents of shield? Yes, I did. Yes. Okay. At least like did you see, four seasons of it or something like that? Yeah. Did you see the episodes where ghost rider showed up? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Ghost rider was, they, he totally baffled the team. Because his power level was so off the charts compared to any, like every containment thing they had, Ghost Rider could just pop out of it because he was bad to the bone. And he's sort of like, he's the spirit of vengeance that is like tapping as much of the power of Hades or hell or whatever, you know, Mephisto's realm or whatever Marvel Comics is going to call it. And I think in most situations that, that, um, that Ghost Rider is gonna gonna clean Spawn's clock. Unless the only the only way that that Spawn's gonna survive is he is he's smart enough that he has no problem going and breaking into like CIA, CIA munitions and coming out with like eight hundred guns at the same time. So he may delay Ghost Rider long enough to get away. But I think I think if it's power to power and Ghost Rider has a reason for taking vengeance on Spawn, that Spawn is 
going to have to escape. I think I would. I think I would agree with you. I, I, um, I read comics periodically. I'm not a super, super religious reader, but I did really enjoy that 2014 Ghost Rider run where they got the newer guy and, and Spawn, Spawn's one of those characters that's super cunning and super smart, but he's usually put up against either demons who aren't that bright or other humans who aren't that bright. Right. Well, yeah, and another thing I have to qualify here, like Spawn, as we know him, or at least as I know him, there's still a lot of history of him that I haven't read. He's being groomed to be like a lieutenant in the Malbolgia's army, which is basically he's being groomed to lead legions of hell. And once he uses up all his power, he becomes, you know, fully the Malbogias. And at that point, I think he might, you know, be able to go toe-to-toe with Ghost Rider, no point, no problem. And his his costume is also a symbiote that mutates and gets more powerful. But but Spawn as the human trying to ride herd on the uh, bad situation he's being put in, I just, I, I think Ghost Rider would drop him. Fair enough. And this is the fun part of comics. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's, yeah. And like I said, you know, I've said before, uh, for me, I think I'm more drawn to kind of the street level stuff, be it, you know, like a Daredevil, Luke Cage, even, you know, Frank Castle, um, or like the the, um, CW uh, Green Arrow show. I forget, was it just called Arrow? Yeah, just Arrow. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I like those, but for me, like the... Superman, Fantastic Four, that kind of stuff. It's entertaining, you know, like the Marvel movies, but it doesn't hook me, I guess. And so, like, if I were to ever want to play Supers, I think it would be, you know, like like that Mutant City Blues sounds really interesting to me. That or, I've always said, The Tick. (laughs) The Tick. The Tick would actually be really hard to do as an RPG because the humor is is so hard to do. You know what I mean? Like it, like it's funny. It's super funny, but as a GM, I would feel hard to keep that level of humor up. Oh, right. Like how, how enjoyable would the tick be if it's just a bunch of stat blocks? You would, like you've yeah. got to have that humor in there, right? Yeah. You would have to have the right group of people to get that to run properly. Right. Yeah. And there's a style of humor that I'm not saying it couldn't be done, but that would be extremely hard to put a game out for, Unless you were just reading almost like from a script, right? Yeah. Uh, to, to, to capture the humor of it because and it's such a such a unique humor. Yeah, the infinity ball and speak. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be fun. I mean, I, I love the tick, don't get me wrong. I mean, I would love to charge in and, and yell spoon and things go horribly wrong, but I'm oblivious because I'm a I'm a big lummox, but you know, and Arthur's really the brains and, and all of that, so well, yeah, I think with that, let's move into Game of the Week. Game of the Week! Game of the Week! Game of the Week! So, uh, who's going first this week? Shane, would you like to go first? Would you like one of us to go first? Uh, I can go first. So, I am going to throw out a game that is coming. Okay. But there's enough material out there including playtest material that I think that that it's fair to, to call this a game of the week. Now, uh, full disclosure, I'm on the writing team for this game. Okay. Okay. I'm not I'm not one of the major team members, but I, I am working on some writing tasks. And this is actually, um, this is, I know you listen to Russ's podcast, you know, Morris's unofficial RPG talk. Have you heard him talking about Level Up yes. Advanced 5th Edition? Yes, I have. Okay. 
So this is what I'm going to throw out there. Just give it an, I think people will be very interested in this, especially if they're playing, if they're currently playing 5th edition D&D. There is a game coming. It is a standalone game, but it is backwards compatible with 5e, and it's called Level Up Advanced 5th Edition. And if you go to levelup5e.com, that's levelup5e.com, there's already a ton of playtest play material. Now, to sort of tease you on what Level Up is, it is a, it's 5e, it's not more complicated, but it's more complex in the options that it offers. So it offers more complexity and depth and a range of things you can do on top of what 5e already does. It also has a major emphasis on the exploration pillar, right? Because Wizards of the Coast and D&D, they're always talking about the, the pillars of role-playing, which are combat, uh, role-playing, or social, and then exploration. And this gives a lot of love to the exploration pillar. And it, you know, but it also does give some more combat options. It, it you know, tweaks the classes a little bit. Uh, it's, it's just really cool. Uh, but I don't want to, you know, I've already taken up a lot of time on this podcast yapping. So I'll just say, go to levelup5e.com. There's a sign up thing where you can, you know, put your email address in. You'll, you'll stay up to date on everything. And there are playtest materials right there that you can already start checking out with your 5e game that you're already playing. Uh, and there, there should be a Kickstarter, you know, sometime in the next six months or so. Uh, but this is good. This is a major, major game and it's going to be super, super cool. So my, my game of the week is level up advanced fifth edition. And one thing I would mention too, just because he does do things a little differently, you mentioned him taking that to Kickstarter, his, and I'm assuming he's going to do this the way he's done all his previous Kickstarters. You might have a little more information, Shane, but when Russ Morrissey does Kickstarters, it's ready to go. Yeah, he's ready to go. Yeah, it's it's the the book will already be written. Uh, the Kickstarter is just how many do we print? Yes, and send out right now. And also, any PDF rewards go out the minute the Kickstarter ends. I've literally his record on a Kickstarter ending. The minute the Kickstarter ends, within six seconds, he's already sent out all the PDF. Rewards. I was going to say I knew it was it was ridiculously <laughs> low, but yeah, he, yeah. It, it, yeah. He uses the, the Kickstarter, like you said, to really just know how many he has to print. That is the only step yeah. left. Yeah. And of course it helps with, with marketing, you know, it gets things out, but yeah, he's, the book will be, the art will be ready. The book will be laid out. Everything will be written and it will, as soon as the Kickstarter is over, it will go to press. All right. You want to go next, Steve? Yeah. I have one that is silly, fun, and goofy. And I stumbled across it on drive-thru. And I am going to add this to my tool bag because this is one that I want to just have just in case. It's called Bean! Exclamation mark. It is the D2 role-playing game. Uh <laughs> <laughs> so you just flip a yep, coin every yep. time? Everything is yep. either a coin or you can throw beans. Uh yeah. They advise you could <laughs> I love it. you could paint one side of dried beans black and just use those. Uh, <laughs> is there a setting that comes with? Yes, this? it is a, a generic sort of a generic fantasy setting, but yeah. with a it's a super simple rules light system is how they're describing it. You could use standard dice for high low, odd or even rolls. You could toss a coin or other objects that have two distinct sides. But we re we recommend plain old beans. They're cheap and plentiful. Some people really enjoy customizing their own beans. And a handful of beans to keep the game moving along is quick and easy. Um, 
just something silly to be like, all right, well, I don't know what to like. I, you know, I have my cyberpunk game that I play in every month or so, and it's like sit down at the table and go, I don't want to play this right now. Well, here, we're going to play Bean. <laughs> Bean. So I have, my main question is, out of the races that are available, is one of them, can you be a human being? I, uh, that I don't know. I would assume so. Yeah. <laughs> a human being. That's what I, when I was a kid, I thought, I didn't think, I didn't understand being, so I thought we were human beings, like we were a form of being. According oh. to... When I was a very young kid. According to all the art in the book, every character is a being. Well, that's important. So, that is... There but, you go. like I said, just something silly came out in 2011, uh, written and drawn by Jay Fields, or Jay Friels. Just a silly game, three bucks on drive-thru RPG. Go check that out. You know what would be fun? Is like if you could go out in a blaze of glory, like you plant yourself, yeah. and then this this thing pops out, and you know you fight, and then it it like withers and dies or something like that. That would be really fun. Oh yeah, that does, that that just sounds delightfully relaxing. Yeah, yeah, it's it it's just a nice silly game because sometimes sometimes that's all you really need in RPGs. We get so wrapped up in that serious gameplay. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you just need a game yeah. that's like, this is dumb. Let's have fun. Yeah, <laughs> you just want to laugh. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. What do you got, Steve? I think I'm going to go with something. Uh, you and I talked about it off the air a couple weeks ago. Uh, it's a fairly newer, actually, yeah, within the last few months title uh, from a guy by the name of Jeff Stormer, and it is in the superhero vein. It's called Anyone Can Wear the Mask. Oh, yeah. Nice. I, and uh, what it is, is it's basically, it's an imaginary story which may never happen, but which then again might. And it's about someone with great power and how they choose to use it. It's a tabletop RPG about a superhero, a supervillain, and the city they share. And through play, you know, you, you it actually runs off a deck of a standard 54 card deck of cards with the jokers in you need three to five six-sided dice and a pen and some paper and that's it yeah and this is a two-player one to three it says yeah one to three see i've heard it played with two players james damato on one shots actually pl played that game and and yeah that's i i yeah that seems neat too like just seems like a neat well i like game. the fact that it's focused on a smaller crew right because you know when i was uh, getting into RPGs, a lot of times it was just me and the DM or one other person. So we did a lot of what's called duet play now. Mm -hmm. You know, it was just me and the GM. I'd play two or three characters. You know, maybe another guy would play two characters or something like that. And it was just as fun. You know, it, it was just as fun. So uh, sometimes it's hard to get a group of four or five people together. So I think that these duet, I hear more about duet adventures being written where it's just that you know the, the dm and the player or even solo adventures so i always like to hear about that kind of thing yeah but like i said this is a, it's on drive through uh pdf's going for like 15 bucks so you're not talking about anything too expensive it's not 100 bucks like invisible sun <laughs> yeah well i mean money that the artwork in that is is yeah just it's so different yeah it's it's a very unique cool it's a premium experience yep uh, you know, the cube, the Invisible Sun cube is like 500 bucks. Jeez. Something like that. Or let me look it up. I don't want to get to lie in here. Maybe it was $200. Uh, invisible Sun. If, if they're charging. It's a premium experience. Well, and look, I don't doubt you. With, with the quality of art that I saw just in the previews, 
I mean, he had to spend a lot of money on that product. Oh, yeah. And it's, you know, with that one, you'd know it's quality. And and I don't, nor, normally, I'm not the person to be like, oh, well, you know it's quality because it's so-and-so, but it's Monty Cook. You, you, you know it's quality. I don't think, I he might have, but I don't think Monty Cook's ever put out a bad game. You know what I mean? Like, right. No, they, they're, it's, you know that there's a certain level of quality and experience yeah. that you're going to get. Yeah. So the cube was about 250 bucks yeah. and that's, that's invisible sun in, um, with all the material components, yeah. uh, but it's designed. So it has everything you need for a group of people to play. You don't have to go out and buy a whole lot of other books and, you know, everybody has to buy a player's handbook and no, it's, it's, it's really, you know, they kind of positioned it when it first came out as like, groups would pitch in you know and buy this to play instead of just like the gm having to buy everything yeah if i ever strike it big i'll be running a uh a rolex and invisible sun game <laughs> where your rolex will play some invisible sun <laughs> but um yeah your your great poupon and yeah your yeah will play invisible just, sun with you yeah just all the everything if it's expensive yeah bring that yep <laughs> yep caviar the the snacks on the table will be caviar yeah and caviar like, you know, and like dips and truffles chips. Yeah. and yeah yeah perfect <laughs> yeah uh, but the dice are made out of diamonds <laughs> i had these cuts <laughs> anyways <laughs> with that i think we've come to the end of our episode and we want to thank you for coming on shane it was really awesome to have you on and have that little history lesson about uh superhero rpgs yeah, yeah, thanks for having me on, and you know, you guys all y'all can come jump on Shane plays Geek Talk sometime, and we'll we'll chew the fat if you want. But uh, really enjoyed it, so thanks for the offer. Thank you. Yeah, do you have anything else you want to look at? You know, you have the podcast, obviously. Anything else you want to a plug of of your stuff? Uh, not really. Just you know, Shane plays Geek Talk, and I do a lot. Of, I cover a lot of geek stuff. I mean, role playing games and games are a huge part of what I do. It's not the only thing. But yeah, role-playing games, comic books, video games. Um, you know, we were talking before the show recorded that, uh, you know, I'm the co-author with Matt Barton on Dungeons and Desktops, the uh, the history of computer role-playing games, volume two. So if anybody's interested in that, you know, they, they I have several podcast episodes that talk about computer role-playing games. But uh, yeah, if it's geeky, come, you know, if you like geeky stuff, come check it out. Yeah. I say you did a couple of really kind of cool episodes I've heard on uh, film and stuff too, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. I cover a lot of a lot of stuff. I just follow my nose and have fun. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I guess with that, you know, anybody out there listening, if you want to get a hold of us, you know, we've got the email address, we've got Facebook, we've got Twitter, Discord. we've got Discord server. All the links are in the show notes because I don't remember how to properly say them all in syntax. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah and and with that we want to remind everyone to be kind to one another and get out there and play some rpgs intro and outro music by the band 12 noon you can email us at me and steve rpg at gmail.com you can also find us at facebook.com slash me and steve rpg thank you and be kind to each other for the cigar cigar 20 bucks dog you gotta go down the street to the store and buy that